Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. Here we are again online and so glad that you've joined us today. Uh, wow, what a week we've had. I mean, just an incredibly uh, difficult week. I know many of you lost power. You lost uh, water. Some of you had burst pipes. And uh, so we are just happy that the warm weather is here. I think I just felt the AC kick on in this house, which means it's actually warming up outside and we are grateful for that. So I noticed this week as the power came on or power returned, uh, the sense of humor returned as well. And I found some things online that just kind of were good medicine. They made me laugh after such an intense week. And so I thought I would just share that with you today. Maybe it will help you uh, just sort of laugh a little bit about the difficulty of the past week. The first one that I found, uh, this was written in snow on someone's patio table. It says, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty, uh, which I thought was really awesome. If you're like me, you get a phone call like every day about and warranty. Anyways, that, that was hilarious. The links that people will go to. The second one is uh, a friend posted, I will never complain about my wife having too many candles again. And uh, I thought that was so uh, poignant for the moment. The third one, says, well, at least all that peeing in the pool is going back in the toilets where it belongs. Apparently, this was a friend of mine that was grabbing water from the neighborhood pool to flush their toilets at home. And I thought that was really, really funny. (laughs) And number four, the Texans have lint covered. We've given up heat, water, showers, and groceries. We do things big here. Amen. Amen. And uh, we are entering into the, the Lent season and we've given up a lot of comforts this week. So that was, that was really appropriate. But the last one was the best because this is, this is Texas. This is, here, here we are today. It says, Texas this week, Texas next week. A man laying between the, uh, the snow in the shade and the, the sun uh, on the other side of the shadow there. I thought that was really, really so true about Texas. So anyways, I hope that's good medicine for your soul. And today we're beginning a new series that we plan to begin last Sunday, but of course, uh, Polar Vortex kind of interrupted our plan. And this series is called Love Jesus. As we were uh, planning for the Lent season, we just felt like we're in a time on planet earth where we all need a lot of grace. I mean, we've been walking through a global pandemic. We have new strains that are forming now of coronavirus. We have uh, all the racial unrest of the past year. We have an election cycle. We have uh, incredible division. And now uh, here in Texas, our whole state, uh, literally the entire state shut down with freezing temperatures. And uh, just what a time we're living through And we felt like in the midst of a season that's really about uh, preparation, 
that we needed to just focus on Jesus. We, we're gonna walk through the gospel accounts of Jesus and we're just going to glean the grace and the mercy and truth that we find in him. Today, we're gonna be starting in Luke chapter 19. If you wanna start turning there, we're gonna be starting with a story that you've probably heard before. I, I think we've even taught on it here before. And if you wanna start turning there, but as you're turning there, I was thinking about the Lent season, how uh, it begins with Ash Wednesday, and it's a season that often has a sense of transcendence. That's a, a theological word that means that God is he's holy, he's other, he's separate, he's above. Years ago, I had a friend who took me to a Catholic church, a Catholic sanctuary, and he wanted to show me the effect of the, the architecture on the person. And so we walked into the door of the sanctuary, beautiful, you know, cathedral ceilings, the ornate altar in the front. It had the icons and symbols. It had the kind of the golden container for the communion wine and just beautiful finishes everywhere. And, and as we walked into the sanctuary, we both just kind of lowered our voices. You see, there's the space communicated this idea of transcendence, this idea of holiness, that God is other and that he's above. My concern, especially right now on planet earth, as we walk through the Lent season, is that some of you just might feel like God's a million miles away. That, that he's this transcendent, holy other. And it's like you have a long distance relationship. If you, if you remember dating and maybe you had one of those at some point along the way where you, uh, you, you loved each other, but you didn't see each other. You might have the occasional uh, message or phone call or postcard, but you didn't really interact. It was a long distance relationship. And my concern is that many of us might be living our lives practically as if we're in a long distance relationship with God. Like he's a million miles away. See, there's another theological word that is imminence. And that means that God is present. He's with, he's sustaining all things. He's right here. Today, I, I want to look at a story from the gospel accounts in Luke chapter 19 of a time when Jesus drew near. In fact, that's the title of my message today is when he draws near. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse one. We're reading the story of a wee little man named Zacchaeus. You probably know the song growing up. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Here we go. Verse one of chapter nine, it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, talking about Jesus. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. Verse four, so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Verse eight, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. 
And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Now, we all love this story. We love the song as a kid growing up. And, and we can picture Zacchaeus, right? The short guy running ahead and climbing up the tree. But I, I don't want you to miss a key detail in the story. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. Like the whole town like collectively moans whenever Jesus goes to be the guest of Zacchaeus. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. Do you know anyone like that? Like, you, you know somebody, like, nobody likes that guy, or, or, like, she makes everyone miserable, or they seem nice, but if, if you knew, right, there's people in our lives that maybe you might even feel that way. In fact, I feel that way about a couple of you. I'm just kidding. I, I'm too holy to feel that way about any of you. I'm just joking, making sure you're paying attention out there, but there are people that you know, nobody likes them. And that describes Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector and tax collectors were thought to be sellouts because they were Jewish people that were working for the Roman government to collect taxes from other Jewish people. They, they were seen as traitors and he was the chief of the tax collectors, which means he was a high-ranking one that was really good at his job. And we know he was good at his job because he was rich. He had made a lot of money doing uh, this work of tax collecting. And by his own admission later in the story, he talks about extortion, which is you're going to get money from someone by use of force or by threatening them. So that's, that's Zacchaeus. That's his story. He's a chief tax collector. Nobody likes him. He has the label of sinner. That's what they said. He's gone to be the guest of a sinful man. And every, of course, everybody that's in the story, everybody on planet earth besides Jesus who's ever lived has been a sinner. But his sins were so audacious, so well-known, so capital S sinful that everybody labeled him a sinner. He was a sinner. He was he was really bad. I mean, really bad. And the crowd complains. And that, that word is, is the word indignant. It, and that carries the, the, the notion that it's so unfair that people are angry. Like something is so unfair that people are angry. See, the first thing that I want us to understand from the story, first thing I think we learn from it is don't rule anyone out of God's kingdom. Don't rule anyone out of God's kingdom. Jesus has a surprising way of calling the ones that everyone else has ruled out. I mean, just imagine all the quote-unquote decent people that Jesus walked past on this road as he's coming into the town, and he walked past every decent person who's out there working hard. They're, they're trying to make it. Maybe they're, they're um, you know, loving their neighbor. They're doing all kinds of great, great things, and he walks right past every one of them, and he chooses a wee little man named Zacchaeus that everybody hates who's up in a tree. 
never rule anyone out of God's kingdom. Now, I I know that sounds so nice and inclusive. Like, don't rule anyone out, right? This the kingdom is for everyone. Don't rule them out. And and I just wonder, I know that sounds so nice and inclusive, but I just wonder if in reality we would be more like the crowd. That we would find it more offensive than inclusive. I'm just curious, is there anyone that you're ruling out? Like really? anyone that you're ruling out of God's kingdom? Is it the liberals or the conservatives? Is it the, the rich or the poor? Is it the addicted, the jerk? Is it the manipulator, the outcast, the perfect suburban people? Is it the witch or the warlock? Is it the LGBTQ person out there? Who are you ruling out, really? Because if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably some categories, some people that we're kind of ruling out of this kingdom thing. And I just wonder, would it offend you if Jesus walks past your house and he decides to dine at their house? Don't rule anyone out of God's kingdom. So let's roll back the footage again. So Jesus walks through the crowd of decent people and he finds it necessary, that's the word he uses, quote unquote necessary to stay at the house of a notorious sinner and everyone's like, how unfair, right? They are indignantly complaining about that. And I just wanna ask you the question, do you think that Jesus loves Zacchaeus more than anybody else that's out there that day? I would say no. I mean, all the things that we know about Jesus, about God, is that he's perfect in his love. His love's unfailing. It's unconditional that he loves every single person that's ever lived on the planet Earth. And so does he love Zacchaeus more? No, absolutely not. There's, there's no way that Jesus loves him more. But it's just that, and this is the second thing that I think we have to understand. Jesus sees things in people that no one else can see. Jesus sees things in people that no one else can see. And when everybody else sees a guy who feels like God's a million miles away, when everyone thinks there's no way God would show up with that guy, Jesus sees something else. Now, when we say, don't rule anyone out of God's kingdom. We're not saying that your sins don't matter to God. Because Jesus sees what no one else can see, which means that, number one, he sees how bad things really are inside of us. I mean, that's the reality of God seeing us as we really are and seeing the things that no one else sees, right? He sees us truly. He sees us honestly. There's no falsehood. There's no flattery. There's no sweeping anything under the rug with God. Like he sees how bad. In fact, later in the, in the story, he says he's come to seek and save the lost. And, and when you understand the, the, the meaning of the Greek word for lost, it's that it's something that's perishing, something that is, is destroyed or is being destroyed or bound for destruction. It's something that's kind of like, it's, it's lost, it's rubbish, it's, it's, it's perishing. 
And this is the word that Jesus uses about Zacchaeus. I was thinking of uh, the, the story of Jesus when he calls uh, Levi, or the one that we call Matthew, who was also a tax collector. There's a big banquet at, at uh, Levi's house that night, and some, uh, some Pharisees and scribes walk past, and they see Jesus dining with these people, and they complain to his disciples, like, why does your master hang out with all these sinners? And here's what Jesus says. He goes, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And we think, oh, wow, man, Jesus, he's so awesome, friend of sinners. But I just wonder if I was sitting at the party with all these guys, right? And, and I'm eating dinner with Jesus and someone complains about me being with him. And he says, don't worry, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm just wondering if anybody was offended, lost, sick. But Jesus sees things that no one else sees. He sees the hidden sins. He sees our motives. He sees the, the, the stuff, the, 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 just the nasty things inside of me and inside of you. But he also sees what no one else sees. He sees past the label of sinner. He sees past Zacchaeus's past. He sees past uh, uh, the lostness, the, the sickness. He sees through it. He sees another layer beyond it. And what he sees is he sees a heart that's ready. He sees a heart that's been prepared. A heart that's, that's ready for the kingdom. He sees what no one else can see. When everyone saw a sinful traitor, Jesus sees a sanctified follower. He sees the plans that he has for Zacchaeus. He can see the future unfolding as Zacchaeus' heart is radically transformed by the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus sees you like that? And seeing what no one else can see, Jesus spots Zacchaeus in the tree. We saw that in verse five. It says that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. And what I love about the, this moment is that Jesus sees him in the tree and he, he's never met him before that we know of and somehow he knows his name. Jesus knows your name. He sees you. I know sometimes it feels, sometimes it feels like God is a million miles away but I want you to know that Jesus sees you and he sees what no one else can see. The third thing I think we have to understand, it's the point of the story, is that when Jesus draws near, everything changes. I mean, as I was reading the story this week and I'm thinking about uh, 
Zacchaeus climbing up into the tree, running ahead and trying to get this kind of this box seat to where you can see Jesus coming. And I'm just picturing the, the kind of the progression of Jesus from far away, moving slowly through the crowd to this point. And Jesus is literally drawing near to him. And then he stops at the base of a tree, looks up, calls him by name and tells him, come down. I'm coming to your house today. And then something happens inside of Zacchaeus. And we, we read this in, in verse A says, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And Lord, if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And, and what we see happening is a picture of what the Bible calls repentance. It's this change of heart that results in a change of life. And it's immediate. Jesus draws near to Zacchaeus and everything changes for him. The one who was extorting is now paying back all these people, giving his possessions to the poor. It's a radical life change. You see, I, I want us to understand repentance is not a legal transaction with a God who's a million miles away. Repentance is a, the relational response, a relational response to the God who draws near. Jesus is illustrating what the whole gospel is about, that in the midst of our brokenness and our sickness and our lostness, that God came towards us, that Jesus moves towards you, that he is, he's imminent, he's here, he's among us, he's with us, he's right here, he's closer than our next breath. Jesus is drawing near, and I believe he's drawing near to you and to me. And when he does that, everything changes in closing, I was uh, watching a show that I love. It's called The Chosen. Many of you have probably heard of The Chosen before. In fact, if you want to just watch this, the series while we're going through this, I think it would help you. And I, I, I was watching season one, episode two, and Martha has had this life-changing encounter with Jesus. She's delivered of this demonic oppression, these evil spirits, and she doesn't even know yet who Jesus is. He doesn't you know, tell her his name. And uh, following that, she's preparing to have her first uh, uh, Shabbat meal, her Sabbath celebration, since this life-changing encounter has happened. And there's a knock at the door, and it's a couple friends, and another knock at the door, and it's a couple disciples of Jesus. And then a, a one more knock at the door, and Jesus is at the door. And there's sort of the awkward moment and, and he asks, like, can I join you? And she's like, yes. And, and she figures out that he's a rabbi. She learns his name. And she's, um, you know, basically telling him, like, you should lead this, you know, Shabbat meal. And he looks at her and says, no, 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 no. I, I want you to lead it. And she fumbles her way through. It's beautiful. And there's this image that just captivated me. I think I have the image for you that we're going to put on the screen. And it's an image of Jesus at her table. So Jesus is physically present at her 
table. And that, that just, that image captivated me after watching the show. And I just started thinking, if Jesus sat at my table, what would be different? If Jesus, physically present, walked into your room right now, what would be different? If he sat at your table at dinner time, would anything change? <laughs> if he rode to work with you and the person cut you off like for the fifth time, like would anything change if he was physically present like right there? <laughs> or if he was sitting next to you on the couch after a long day watching Netflix, like what would change? I'm just curious like how the physical manifested presence of Jesus would would kind of change our lives. What would change? Now, I, I just want to remind you of a couple truths. The, the first truth is Matthew 28, 20. This is the resurrected Jesus. And he's speaking to his followers, his disciples. And he tells them, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, side note. If anyone but Jesus tells you, I'm with you always to the end of the age, run. Like run as fast as you can. If you're at the coffee shop and someone whispers, I'm with you always to the end of the age, run far away, right? Because that's creepy. But when Jesus says it, it's not creepy. It's like really comforting. He's with us to the end of the age. John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will get this Come to him and make our home with him. Wow. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. However, I do think that this means that though we cannot see the physical manifest presence of Jesus right here, that he is right here. He's near. He's with us to the end of the age. His spirit dwells in us. He's come to make our home, his home with us. He's here. And my concern is that we live most of our lives really like he's a million miles away and not the one who has drawn near to us. There's no social distancing with Jesus, no safe social distance with him. He's right with us. I'm not trying to guilt trip you today. I promise I'm not. I just want to remind you of the nearness of God. And so this week, here's my challenge for you, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to remind yourself of the actual spiritual presence of Jesus with you. Every day, throughout the day, of this week, I just want you, you know, just picture, like when you wake up in the morning, just picture he's standing next to you <laughs> or, or when you're eating breakfast or you're driving in the car or whatever you do throughout your day, if you could just picture him beside you and maybe that will just help you think about the actual spiritual presence of Jesus. So number one, I want you to picture him with you. The second thing is this, 
do what seems right in light of that. Do what's right in light of the presence of Jesus. Maybe some of you have felt ruled out. Maybe you've got a label. Maybe it's a label that someone else has put on you. Maybe it's a label that you've put on yourself. Maybe some of you have ruled yourselves out of this thing. You're like, God can use those people, but he can't use me because I have a past and I have a story and I have regrets and I have shame. I just want to let you know that welcome to the club. All of us have a past. All of us have a story, Pastor Chris included. I've got a whole list of things that, that should rule me out of this. And I want you to know that that is not true, that the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus is bigger than your story. It's bigger than your past. It's bigger than regret. It's bigger than shame. And if you've ruled yourself out, maybe repentance today is to say, Lord, I'm ruling myself in to trust and what he's done on your behalf because we don't rule anybody out of this kingdom. And if you've never received Jesus, I just want you to know that he's walking up to the tree and he's calling you by name. And I just want to encourage you to come down and to welcome him joyfully like Zacchaeus did. And lastly, you sent ones of Jesus. Don't forget, no one's ruled out of God's kingdom. No one is hopeless. I want you to keep loving. I want you to keep praying. I want you to keep pursuing. I want you to keep sharing the message of Jesus. Keep sharing your story. Keep sharing your testimony. I want you to follow him into the homes of chief tax collectors and capital S sinners because that's where Jesus likes to go. So remember Zacchaeus, don't rule anyone out of God's kingdom, including yourself, because Jesus sees what no one else can see. And when he draws near, everything changes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.